0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to The Quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Town. With me today, Dan Hoffman, Fox News, former CIA station chief. Dan, welcome to our broadcast.
1: Thanks for having me on the program.
0: You have served Near East Division. Uh, You've been in Afghanistan. You were the station chief in Moscow. I mean, listen, you've been in, you've been all. Dan, you have been everywhere throughout your career. And because of that, you have a unique opportunity to look at the various dominoes in the region. Once the Taliban gets organized, the focus will shift to other countries like Pakistan or China or Russia. And I just wanted to get from a 35,000 foot level here, what your view of that region will be and how it might affect the United States. Just what do you think about when you uh, consider that, Dan?
1: Well, I think it's the ironies of ironies that as we approach the 20th anniversary of September 11, that we are going to find ourselves at greater risk from Afghanistan than we have ever been before, arguably. Uh, the Biden administration chose to leave Afghanistan and remove our intelligence footprint and our military, uh, and that led to uh, the Taliban takeover. And because of that, and because the Taliban has harbored al-Qaeda, allowed al-Qaeda to, sanctu- to enjoy sanctuary on their territory, uh, that Afghanistan is going to be a place where terrorists like al-Qaeda and ISIS plot against us. And we won't have the capability anymore, the intelligence capability to find and fix the targets or the military capability kinetically to strike them when needed. And so the irony is the Biden administration is leaving to focus on other things like China or climate change. But this is going to pull them back because we're going to need more resources to deal with a rising threat. That's what concerns me. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. So based on what the Taliban learned 20 years ago. It perhaps they're thinking we can't afford to harbor al-Qaeda or ISIS anymore cuz we'll get we'll get holy hell rained on our head yet again. What do you think about that?
1: Well, they've been allowing al-Qaeda to homestead on their territory for the past you know almost 15 20 years since they started the insurgency and it's important to note that the military wing of the Taliban which is led by Siraj Haqani and Addin Haqani is 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 uh, He's a designated global terrorist and has very strong ties to al-Qaeda. The Haqqani Network, for which he leads, was responsible for all those suicide attacks in Kabul targeting our people and innocent civilians. And they're the ones with the closest links to al-Qaeda. They've enjoyed sanctuary inside Pakistan uh, during the, uh, you know, when when the fighting season was over, they would all go into Pakistan and and get the medical help they would need and, and rest and recuperate and prepare for the next fighting season, which is what we're witnessing right now. So I, I don't think the Taliban's going to change much at all. I think they'll continue to allow uh, Al Qaeda to homestead on our territory. There have been for sure conflict between ISIS and the Taliban. Uh, but the question is whether the Taliban will have the interest or the wherewithal to even focus on that, because now they've got to run a whole country of 40 million people, and that's going to take quite a bit of their uh, time and energy. So
0: then if I'm in the caliphate, formerly, um, in western Iraq and eastern Syria, that was destroyed by President Trump. And I, I slink back to my village, and I um, wait five years. Is the next caliphate in southern Afghanistan? Are you convinced of that, or or would it be northwestern Pakistan, or perhaps Yemen?
1: I mean, mean I, I call Pakistan. I call Afghanistan. Um, you know, uh, potentially a terrorist-sponsored state that will be a state full of, of ungoverned space where we don't have the access, unfortunately, that we used to have, uh, overhead reconnaissance, human sources and other things to detect the threats early on so we could preempt them before they're, they're visited on our shores, either here in the homeland or in the region. Um, I, think, uh, I think that's gonna be the great challenge. You're posing an important question. We're not gonna have the capacity or the capability that we used to have To track the Taliban, to track uh, precisely how those threats are going to materialize, that really concerns me. And as you alluded to, the region is extraordinarily unfriendly to us, to say the least. You've got Iran and Russia, which were providing the Taliban with material assistance to bleed the United States. Um, And then you've got China and Pakistan. Those four countries are the only ones with embassies operating right now in Afghanistan. That should tell you something.
0: Yeah, it tells us a lot. I, I, what is your view on this argument from from many, and rightfully so, that endless wars should not be a part of American foreign policy?
1: Well, I think we have to define what that means. And so we really got sidetracked. When we went in Afghanistan, the idea was to, to target al-Qaeda and to bring bin Laden to justice, which we did. We got a bit sidetracked into nation-building. Uh, which wasn't, in my view, at least, the mission that we should have been pursuing. Uh, And it, I think, led us to believe that maybe we shouldn't be doing what we should be doing there, which is to have a small force of 2,500, 3,000, plus 6,000 NATO troops, and then 18,000 contractors to keep the Afghan Air Force going. It's not a lot different than having troops in South Korea, which act as a tripwire to ensure that Kim Jong-un doesn't invade South Korea, which I'm I think he probably would do that if we weren't there in full force and conducting mi- basic military exercises. So uh, I think that, um, that we took on too much in the way of a mission in Afghanistan, and, and I think we mischaracterized it. I think the president mischaracterizes it as an endless war, when in fact it was just a deployment, and I can tell you because I've been there for two years of my life, um, in harm's way, but there's no place that our brave patriots and the intelligence community and the military, the State Department, there's no place they'd rather be than out there on the front lines. Um, until that mission is is finished and we can move on to the next one but you no, know, that's so, kind of where so we need Dan, to be. So
0: well, Dan why uh, you you're spot on so why make this call?
1: I think that President Biden uh, felt like it was an endless war in his estimation even though we hadn't lost anyone um, in gosh over a year at least um, and we had kind of put ourselves in a place where we were in a stalemate with the Taliban, but that was okay uh, because we were able to to eliminate so many threats. And I will tell you, Bill, that, that, you know, we operated in such a way that the American public was, and I say this not derisively or anything, but blissfully ignorant of all the work we were doing to eliminate threats. You know, the names of all those Al-Qaeda operatives we targeted kinetically, they aren't known to our citizens, but they kept us safe. That's what we were doing out there. And I think um, President Biden had in his mind the, um, the way that he saw it, and maybe it goes back to the way he saw things when he was vice president. But I think he showed a failure, in my view at least, to challenge his own assumptions, accept new information based on the, the situation that we're in today and then swivel his policy in, mm. frankly, uh, a better direction.
0: It seems like you didn't ask enough questions from the outside. Uh, th- there was a briefing earlier this week at the White House. Uh, Jake Sullivan, NSA, um, he basically said we had two options, right? We can, we can get out or we can surge more troops in there because the Taliban was gaining ground. On that second part, is that right?
1: Well, I think that uh, we had a measure of deterrence, especially because we had significant air power. Remember, we had Bagram Air Force Base there, so air air base. And so we had a very significant, very powerful air capability that was keeping the Taliban at bay. And sure, you could make some hypothetical uh, statements the way the National Security Advisor did, although I would argue that he made not so great predictions about the way things turned out either. So I don't know if he's right or wrong, but I do believe there was a third way uh, that instead of either augmenting the number of troops or re- removing them altogether, we could have kept the number we had, which was still fairly sizable when you include the NATO forces who were with us. And that's, by the way, a separate issue that we never really consulted with our NATO partners when Voked Article 5 uh, and went in with us. I'm not sure they would have agreed with this decision. In fact, I know they didn't. Um, so I I don't, I just don't think they, they looked carefully enough at that third option to keep... Um, mm-hmm. A bit of a, a bit of a residual force there for the time being, and uh, that might that just wasn't what President Biden wanted to do.
0: So, based on my math, we had twenty five hundred U.S. troops, and you had about what five thousand NATO? Is that right?
1: I think we had about I've heard six thousand, and about eighteen thousand contractors who were keeping the uh, Afghan air capability in the air, and uh, and that's a fairly modest um, contingent. Not, you know, narrowly focused on the counterterrorism mission, which matters to us, Uh, not not building Afghan democracy or other Don Quixote windmill sorts of things. We're talking about the stuff that we need to do to keep us safe. Um, And we were extraordinarily proficient at doing that. Wow.
0: The Pakistani ambassador was with Brett Baer this week on his show, Special Reports. And he was making the case that the Taliban actually has competition in Afghanistan. He mentioned Daesh, which we know is ISIS. Is it possible, last question on this, then I want to go to the region, talk about China, Russia, et cetera. Is it possible that Daesh is, ISIS is in competition with the Taliban, and there could be a power struggle within these groups?
1: Well, I think they're they're in conflict for sure, and there'll be pockets of Afghanistan where ISIS is maybe dominant. And that's... Really, what makes it such a dangerous petri dish of terrorist threats that they're all interested in targeting us? If we think we're not at war with ISIS al Qaeda and the Taliban, we are flat out wrong. We are in their crosshairs. We just don't have the ability anymore to to, to defend ourselves. But there will be parts of Afghanistan where the Taliban are strong, parts where uh, you know other warlords are strong or ISIS. Um, it's a very dangerous place. It's a mosaic of of dangerous terrorist threats. And again, we are not in a position anymore. To collect on those threats And when we're not We learned from past experience Go back to Pearl Harbor Or nine eleven. If we don't have the ability To collect early warning intelligence And do something about it Then we're going to get hit And that's what is uh, Extraordinarily disconcerting to me And, and so many of my uh, former colleagues that, that's, In the uh, intelligence community
0: so awful Dan I'm sorry man It's just it, It's yeah. not acceptable You ask yourself What were the past 20 years all about? 20 years I mean, and, and, yeah. a, and a trillion dollars For this,
1: Well, uh, when you go in to, you know, when you invade a place like Afghanistan or Iraq, you got to kind of think about how it's going to end. What's your mission? And then how is it going to end? And the end for Afghanistan could have meant just a forward deployment like we have in Japan and South Korea. We've got 170,000 troops all over the globe stationed for one reason or another. Like it or not, we're at least I think we're still a global superpower and we have a lot of enemies all over the world who seek to do us harm. And if we're not out there on the front lines, as Charles Krauthammer used to like to say, then we're not able to defend our interests. And that's why I joined the CIA. It's why my colleagues did or in the U.S. military or State Department. That's why we we took such great pride in, in doing that work. Yeah.
0: I've always said that the world is a better place when America is a strong country. Dan Hoffman, Hammer Time continues in a moment.
2: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List
0: Back with Dan Hoffman, Fox News contributor, CIA station chief, Near East Division, served in Moscow, served in Afghanistan, probably served in a lot of places you don't want to talk about. Dan, thank you for your time again today. Let's start near. What happens in Pakistan now?
1: Pakistan, it's a double-edged sword. You know, they supported the Taliban. They gave the Taliban sanctuary. The Taliban used to meet in Quetta, uh, one of Pakistan's uh, small towns. Um, I've been to Quetta. Okay, me too. Yeah, uh, it's
0: uh, <laughs> some arid land, super, brother.
1: Yep, not super hospitable for folks like us. Um, but but that's where the Taliban used to go. They were active in Peshawar, and uh, and so the Pakistanis supported the Taliban, used them, used jihad as a as a as a tool of foreign policy. That's how they fight asymmetric wars against India. But the double edge of that sword is that. The Taliban allows al-Qaeda to homestead on their territory, and al-Qaeda is a threat to Pakistan. Al-Qaeda has targeted Pakistan's nuclear infrastructure. Al-Qaeda would like to take over Pakistan. And so we have to be very concerned about that, uh, given already the very, um, I would say, uh, unstable situation in Pakistan. Their economy is in freefall. They've got massive uh, health and societal challenges there. Uh, at Pakistan, even if they might not like to admit it, uh, their prime minister, Imran Khan, might want, want to admit it. They are in a arguably weaker position today than they were before the Taliban took over.
0: Mm. Interesting. Cool. So if I were to describe to our listeners, if you were to look up at a board and go from left to right, and you saw Iraq and then Iran and then Afghanistan... And to the east of Afghanistan is Pakistan, and then India, and then China. This is this is the meat of it, right? So if you just describe what happens in Pakistan, what does India and China do as a result? How, how would they react here?
1: India is in a terrible place. Um, they are extremely concerned about the terrorist threat from Pakistan, uh, because Pakistani terrorists have launched multiple attacks in india um and they're concerned about the terrorist threat emanating from afghanistan china is too a little bit you know the chinese are concerned about taliban support for uyghurs and that's just one reason why the the chinese foreign minister recently met with taliban senior leadership and china's trying to strike a deal they want to prey upon afghanistan's economy uh rip them off for their for their minerals um and uh and, and the thing that concerns me is that Russia and China, what they have to offer is, is assistance, military assistance. So imagine if if the Taliban build out an army, build out an air force, if they had uh, S-300 air defense or something like that from the Russians. I'm sure that's what they'd like to have, to have some measure of deterrence and ensure that the United States can't bomb them into the Stone Age the next time Al-Qaeda targets us someplace. So it's all intertwined, and everything has become a lot more dangerous. And the, I think when we look back at this moment, 10, 15 years from now, uh, we'll consider this to be a seminal moment where our country became a lot weaker uh, for a fairly long period of time. And, and our enemies are right there to exploit it. Iran, China, Russia, you named them.
0: Mm. Wow. So what's happening with Vladimir Putin? What, uh, how, how does Russia take advantage of this?
1: So I think a couple of ways. First of all, Vladimir Putin is is probably popping open vodka bottles in the kremlin right now because both for russia and for china they want to portray the united states as a declining power and by by extension democracy as um, not uh the sort of government that any that any country should aspire to because vladimir putin and xi jinping both know that that uh that democracy would bring an end to their corrupt autocratic regimes And so that's why the United States will forever be an enemy to to China and Russia, as long as those two are in power. Um, Russia definitely will try to take advantage of this from a public relations perspective, look for their information operations and propaganda targeting us. They they have already had lots of contact with the Taliban. They provided them with military equipment and have hosted – peace negotiations which are really just cover for for russian efforts to to develop contacts with with the taliban um and uh russia will be looking to ensure that 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 the taliban that the terrorism is an export into central asia uh and also the other concern for for that region is the opium trade which flourished under the taliban we were never able to get it under control but it's caused wrecked havoc uh in russia's youth And it's something that I think that the Russians are going to be looking at. And it's a potential point of, you know, conflict between Russia and the Taliban, because the Taliban uh, not only have not tried to stop that trade, they've they've benefited from it financially.
0: It's fascinating. Let's talk about President Biden, commander in chief for a moment here. Um, 9-11, 20 years on is coming up in three weeks. A lot of people have suggested that he wanted to get out so he could say on that date that we're no longer in Afghanistan. Do you think that's true?
1: Well, I think get out the right way at the right time. I wish we weren't so hold so much holding ourselves prisoner to esoteric dates like that. That's but how but we do get you stuck.
0: do you believe that oh, was his objective?
1: I, I think it. I think it was. But I I wish he hadn't done that during the fighting season in Afghanistan. That's a far more important thing to consider than than the date. I think this comes back. You know, I say this as a concerned citizen. I think it comes back. To hurt him, not help him politically, because we're weaker on 9-11. We're more at risk. We've got the same set of circumstances as we had on September 10, 2001. Ungoverned space, Taliban control of territory that we don't have access to to conduct operations, to eliminate threats. And it's a lot worse because the Taliban is a battle-hardened force now, sophisticated one, that fought us for 20 years and grew and learned from an insurgency. They lost most every battle against us, but they won the war because they never went away. And that's what an insurgent does. As long as you stay in the fight, eventually you think you can outlast your superpower. And that's what they did.
0: Mm. I was observing, well, the president's been at Camp David a couple of times this week, and the picture they put out over the weekend at a, this big table with a set of monitors, it just, I mean, listen, Dan, you, you analyze all this stuff very well, you have very analytical mind, that's why you served in the CIA and served the country, and you look at, you know, geopolitical trends and you do it so well, but you also analyze personalities and human beings, and my observations of the president over the past week, I would argue, um, is a man who was by himself. I don't know who was at Camp David. They haven't told us. My assumption is that his wife Jill was there, the first lady, and maybe some grandkids. But I'm just I'm assuming that. I don't know yeah. if any of his advisors were at Camp David. And if they weren't, you know, how was he keeping in touch with them? And that that whole flight earlier in the week back to um, the White House to make a speech, and then go back to Camp David. It just seemed like there was such a disconnect here. I don't I don't know how you view that based on your training.
1: No, I you know what, I think it's a great point that you make and I don't I don't think it was lost upon our enemies. I think if the Russians or the Chinese were were analyzing that, they see President Biden sitting in a room by himself, not flanked by his DNI of real Haynes or Director CIA Burns, or his Secretary of Defense or National Security Advisor, Secretary of State. No. It's just him by himself. And there was this feeling, you know, President Trump was criticized for saying that, you know, I alone can fix it and I don't need the generals and others. And I've got my own ideas about what I want to do. Um, and, and he was criticized for that during the campaign. And it, it just, that that photo, you're right, gave me the impression that that's exactly what President Biden was doing is he had his own ideas about what he wanted to do. And he was not as interested, he, he conducted meetings and briefings and things like that, but he never challenged his own assumptions and didn't take in the guidance, the expert um, assessment from his team. And uh, I think there'll be a lot of, testimony in front of Congress, some behind closed doors, but I sure hope a lot of it's open session so that the American public can hear uh, what sort of advice was or wasn't given to President Biden from uh, DOD, from State Department, and from CIA.
0: Well, it's been reported that they were all against it, and he overruled them. That's right. that, That's the story yep. that's out there. You know, perhaps we'll find an answer on that in the end someday. Last point. Condoleezza Rice wrote a great piece this week at The Washington Post, Uh, The Afghan people did not choose the Taliban. They fought and died alongside us. She says the following more time would have served our strategic interests. Now we have to live with the consequences of our haste. Just reflect on that as we close out our conversation, Dan.
1: No, I think she's absolutely right. Uh, The manner in which we got out of Afghanistan has put our nation at great risk. And. When we when the president said that that you know that Afghanistan, that the Afghan army and the government kind of quit on um, on their nation, uh, what he failed to mention is that 60,000 of them roughly died. And a lot of our partners, CIA partners, were killed fighting the Taliban in these last weeks. Uh, they were brave. They fought hard. And again, just as South Korea would face a North Korean army at their doorstep if the United States contingent wasn't there as a tripwire. Uh, when we removed our air support uh, and our remaining troops from Afghanistan, we enabled what we saw happen. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't some serious flaws with with the way we trained the Afghan army. I think that was a, uh, you know, I, I always felt like the Afghans know how to fight. I'm not, sometimes I used to wonder why we're training them in something that they know how to do quite well. It was really about the fact that they didn't want to die for a corrupt government and the Taliban fighters thought they were going to go to paradise if they were killed. Um, but But I think that uh, that the the manner in which we left, um, the way we did, uh, we did a disservice to our reputation and our standing in the world, and that that concerns me as well.
0: Um, These are big thoughts, and it will take some time to consume and understand it in our own way. Dan, you're terrific. Thank you. It's great to have you today.
1: Thanks a lot. Wishing you all the best.
0: Dan Hoffman, former CIA station chief. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time.